This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. John Jastrzemski. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Here on this Thursday evening, we have reached Hour 4. It's JJ After Dark, John Jastrzemski. We're keeping you company right here on The Fan. Get aboard at 877-337-6666 and... The offseason, it's finally picking up some steam in Major League Baseball. Last week, it was Omeyu. This week, George Springer. And to try to figure out the aftermath and the other pieces and the other dominoes to fall, we welcome in John Morosi from the MLB Network and Fox Sports. You can watch John contribute across MLB Network's programming, including Hot Stove at 9 a.m. and MLB Tonight at 6 p.m. MLB Network also has the Hall of Fame election results coverage on Tuesday. John Morosi, what's happening, brother? How you doing, man? JJ, how are you, my friend? Uh, Thanks, as always, for the invitation to be on the show tonight. John, you're far too kind, and let's give you a ton of credit here right out of the gate because I go back to a conversation we had Late November, early December, I forget the exact specifics. Here's what I remember. You told me, DJ LeMayu will be back with the New York Yankees. It's not a done deal. You weren't 100% certain, but a lot of your research pointed you in that direction. It kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit. And then I look at that deal, John. Six years at $90 million. I know DJ's probably happy about it, but from a Yankees standpoint, that's a really good and team-friendly type of contract for a guy who's been the best hitter on their team the last two years. He's indispensable, J.J. They had to keep him. I think that was the reality. Unless they got Lindor, there was no other acceptable outcome for the New York Yankees when it came to this offseason. And you think about his importance to the lineup, his versatility, the the injuries the Yankees have had the last couple of years, he has been the glue, and much more than that, he's been an MVP, top four player uh, in ba- in baseball in the American League the last two years. So I think the the per year rate is very good at fifteen million dollars a year, uh, given his production, and what it allows the Yankees to do as well, John, is it allows them to spread out that luxury tax hit over a longer period of time, which allows them to, as a team that spends up to that luxury tax level, 
quite often, allows them that flexibility to, yes, address that rotation, probably add one more starting pitcher. But I think for the player and for the price, it was certainly a, a great deal for, for DJ as well. Uh, I'm, I'm from the school of thought, JJ, JJ, there's no such thing as a wrong a wrong $90 million deal. But I, I think that from that standpoint, the Yankees got the player they needed at a number that they could certainly manage. John, let's get to Kluber. That was the other big move they made on Friday. And I get what Brian Cashman's trying to do. He's looking for guys who have serious upside and thinking about getting this Yankee team over the top. Assuming the Yankees get the version of Corey Kluber that's anywhere close to the 2014, the 2018 guy who won Cy Youngs and pitched in big games and, you know, was surgical in the way he approached his business on the mound, it's a great move. But when you've only made, you know, a handful of starts over the last two years, there's a risk factor involved. You think the Yankees got this right going the Kuba route as opposed to, let's say, bringing back Tanaka? Well, that's a great question. And and I think that what they're banking on right here, and, and one of the most important people here in this entire equation, is Eric Cressy, who's the one that uh, uh, Corey Kluber has worked with a lot. Of course, he is also involved uh, with the Yankees on, on the physical training, high-performance aspect of things. And so Eric Cressy works privately and then also has a relationship with the Yankees. And so I, I think all along, looking at the way – uh, Kluber's free agency went. He had to go somewhere with someone that he trusted. That, that uh, given the fact that he's barely pitched out the last two years, that you had to go with someone that really has a good understanding of, of what he is doing right now and what he does at his best. And Eric Cressy has that familiarity right now uh, for the Yankees. So I think that they had the inside track, if you will, to sign him, uh, I think, all along when, when you consider that relationship. And someone who really is barely pitched, as we talked about. And also there's that connection with Matt Blake as well, a very young um, pitching coach for the Yankees. Of course, Matt has his roots in, in New England. Um, Corey lives in the Boston area now. Matt had worked for a while, had relationships there with the Cleveland Indians. So there are a lot of connections, a lot of reasons why Corey Kluber is comfortable right now with the New York Yankees. And I think, is there risk in signing him instead of Tanaka? Yes. I would even say there's risk in signing him instead of Jay Happ. Jay Happ was actually quite good for the Yankees this past year. So I'm still of the mind that this is a team that could stand to add one more arm because, yeah, you could hope that some of the younger pitchers come up and contribute, but you're right now, as we speak, you're still minus a Paxton, minus a Happ, and minus a Tanaka. You, of course, have added Kluber, but... To me, you need to add, I believe, one more starting pitcher or at least a swing guy that can fill that role before you feel totally comfortable arriving at Tampa for spring training, J.J., which is, yes, about three weeks from right now. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Spring training three weeks away. Hallelujah for that. Um, I also want to give you some more credit. And not that this whole interview, John, is me blowing smoke, but I give credit (laughs) where credit is due. You also said in December... Watch out for the Toronto Blue Jays. They are ready. They are willing to go and make a big splash. John, that's why I wasn't surprised when I saw George Springer go for six years and $150 million. And I guess the Blue Jays have the ability to go and make a deal like this because they have so many young, controllable players over the next few years. You might as well try and win and win right now. That's a great point, J.J., and, and that's why they, they've really been pretty active this winter. You name the player, 
They've been involved. They've had meetings on that player. They've pursued that player. They had conversations with the Cleveland Indians about Francisco Lindor. Uh, they had tried to acquire Hassan Kim coming over from Korea. There had even been some thought that maybe they would make a move for JT Real Muto. I sort of doubt that right now, now that they've invested $150 million over six years in George Springer. But Springer, they certainly had to go above and beyond what the Mets did. They had to win the bidding by a wide margin. Uh, of course, George is from Connecticut, has a home in Connecticut. I think there was a reason why uh, the Mets were so appealing to him beyond just how great the Mets have a chance to be in, in 2021 on the field. But the Blue Jays had to pay that premium, and they did. And I think that Springer gives this young Blue Jays team instant credibility. He also is going to help them avoid, I believe, J.J., a lot of the fundamental mistakes the Blue Jays made in 2020. They, they were a young team that looked young. They would make fundamental base running mistakes, fundamental defensive mistakes. And when you have someone who has been a World Series MVP – sewing together your defense by playing a very strong center field, I think it, it lets everybody else relax. He's going to help them execute better. It's that leadership quotient that goes beyond the numbers. The numbers are great, but the leadership, the person George Springer is, has tremendous value in that clubhouse as well. John, did you get the sense from a Mets standpoint, the trade with Cleveland, Lindor, and Cookie Carrasco – combined with Conforto being up at the end of 2021, put them in a position where there wasn't that same sort of sense of urgency to go and get the Springer deal done? I think so, a little bit. I also think that, to your point on Conforto, the Mets, and Joel Sherman's reported this, and I think it's correct, the Mets had a number they were comfortable going to, and and they probably had to be mindful of where Conforto's numbers are going to be. Also, mindful of the cascading effect on the rest of the club when you bring in a center fielder, what does that mean as you bump different players to different positions? Uh, what does it do to Pete Alonso's at-bats? There's a lot of secondary and tertiary questions involved there if you make a, a, a splash of that nature to bring in Springer. And I also think that, to your point, the urgency probably wasn't there for the Mets the same way that it was for the Blue Jays. And the Mets, you could argue, if you're going to, pay Springer you know, $30 million, $25 million a year, if you, let's say that, obviously, which is that's, that's what the deal ended up being, that, that you could probably, for that $25 million, divide that up, sign a Jackie Bradley Jr., and then maybe add a reliever as well. There are different ways to creatively approach things there where maybe the, the need and the desire on the Mets' part to get Springer was not quite as great as what you saw from the Toronto Blue Jays. We got John Morosi, MLB Network, breaking down this offseason. That's finally starting to take shape a little bit. But there is a big name, John, that's still out there. And he's the best pitcher on the market. He's a different kind of cat, and that's Trevor Bauer. First off here, John, what is the likelihood that Bauer is going to take a one-year contract, do you think? I think it's low. But it's not zero. And Trevor Bauer is a very, to your point, a very unique case in free agency this winter. Uh, I am I, a little doubtful just based on the way the market is going this winter if that Strasburg-level deal, uh, Scherzer-level deal is out there for him. But I do think that on a per-year basis, if he's going to go short, he's in luck that teams that are usually comfortable going short, like the Dodgers, you saw the way they 
tried to pursue uh, Bryce Harper, for example, short, creatively structured deals are something the Dodgers often consider. I would be surprised if Bauer went to the Mets. I, I just, I know that it's been talked about at different times. I, I don't see it personally, uh, but I, I think he will likely get a tremendous AAV on a shorter-term deal is what I believe the end result will be. I don't think it's going to be a one-year but it could be a shorter deal, and Joel's talked about this as well, maybe some opt-outs in there to make it friendly from his standpoint, but I don't think it's going to be a strict one-year contract. Is there a front-runner for Trevor Bauer? I've heard the Angels. I mean, listen, they're looking for pitching. They got money to spend, but who at this point is in play on a guy like Bauer? So if I had to guess, and it's a great question, J.J., because I don't know that there's really a team that goes beyond 50% of saying this is a clear, far-and-away favorite. I do think right now the Dodgers may have the best chance just because of all the factors that you're rolling in there. Big budget. Of course, he's from Southern California. One thing about the Angels that I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get past from a standpoint of really looking at this is is – he and Mickey Calloway, who of course Mets fans know well, Mickey, outstanding pitching coach in Cleveland and now with the Angels, Mickey and Trevor had what I would charitably describe as some spirited disagreements about pitching philosophy uh, in, in the early years of Trevor's time in Cleveland. Now, are they able to get past that? Perhaps, but but there were some there was some real friction there, uh, from what I can tell. And uh, now things can change, relationships can evolve. But I, I really believe that that philosophically, Mickey would need to be in quite a different place than what he was a few years ago for it to really work in a constructive way with Bauer in Anaheim. Interesting stuff. Okay, Riamuto, is it Phillies or bust, or am I looking at a dark horse team that could emerge? Well, interestingly, there was a report uh, here today by Robert Murray that the Atlanta Braves have been involved, which really caught a lot of people off guard because, of course, they've got Travis Darno behind the plate, and he played really well for the Braves in 2020. Uh, so I, I do think the Phillies still have the inside track, but we also know that Alex Anthopoulos, the Atlanta GM, when he is motivated – Things can happen. He's done that before with big trades. Of course, going back to his Toronto days, uh, he brought in Donaldson, of course. Uh, he brought in Marcelo Zuna. He is a creative GM who is not afraid to make a big move. And so um, if the Phillies think that they are negotiating by themselves and against themselves for Riyad Muto, I, I think they are mistaken because the, the Braves, uh, th- that seems to be legitimate. Um, are, they, are the Braves getting involved uh, to bid up the price for the Phillies uh, as a division rival? Perhaps. But I, I also think that there, is a, there must be a number that the Braves are comfortable signing Riyad Muto at and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if eventually that's where, that's where it winds up. So I, I do think overall Phillies still the favorites, but this is in, in no way a, a breakaway race where it's just the Phillies. I, I think they've got some company, and that company is from Atlanta. Now, you're very well connected to what's going on with the Blue Jays. I get the sense, John, they're not done. I don't, I don't get that sense. You know, I know they just gave George Springer six years and $150 million, but I look at that pitching staff. They need help there. What is a move or two that you could see happening with Toronto? Well, they do, and 
I would advocate bringing back Taiwan Walker. I'm I would, too. He was terrific in the second half last year, too, John. Yes. Terrific. Really good. And I was a little baffled that he didn't pitch for them in the playoffs. Uh, and I'm not sure if that had any effect on the long-term relationship there. And, of course, they had to give Ryu a start in the playoffs and ended up being that they gave a, the other start to Shoemaker instead of Taiwan. I, I just thought Walker was tremendous. I've always been a fan of his. Uh, he's uh, really just outstanding stuff, and, he, and he's worked his way back to being, I think, a legitimate number three, maybe even better pitcher than that. So, um, I, to me, the Blue Jays, uh, they pursued Michael Brantley as well, as was reported widely this week, and, and by many accounts almost got him, and by some uh, that they thought they had gotten him, and of course he ended up going back to Houston. But uh, I, I, they, to your point, they're clearly still looking, and I agree with you. As, as wonderful a player and person as Michael Brantley is, uh, I think right now their greatest need is, is certainly on the pitching side. Who's the bigger threat to the Yankees right now? Toronto for for twenty twenty one. Tampa or Toronto? That's a great question. You know, I, I, I think this that that let's not lose sight of what Tampa has lost. They lost Morton, they lost Snell. That's a significant minus from their rotation right now. Um, the Blue Jays, are they fully caught up to Tampa Bay? Um, right now I, I I still give the edge to Tampa. But if Toronto is able to add the impact starter that you and I agree they need, then I think I, I would consider revising that and putting Toronto ahead. But right now, I, I still have uh, the Yankees with the best roster. Uh, and they, they had the best roster last year. They just didn't uh, end up winning the league. I, I think I, I go Yankees one, Rays two, Toronto three. But I, I believe it's closer now than it's been in a very, very long time. And it sure seems like, John, the Yankees are pretty content would bring back the same team for the most part that they had last year. And they didn't have a great regular season. I know they had a lot of guys injured, short year, COVID year, maybe want to throw some of that out. But I wondered if the Yankees would change a little bit of the dynamic on their team. And basically, it's the same group, swapping Kuber for Tanaka, and away you go. Well, you're right. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. I, I, I don't think the Yankees are in this spot yet. But it, I always, uh, in baseball, J.J., I, I look at it where, you know, time after time when you have one injury-plagued season, okay, you had an, an injury-plagued season, there's a bit of an aberration. The next year you have a similar group and more injuries. I, to me, it's, it's difficult to say, well, oh, we had a great club, but then we had injuries. Well, at some point in time you, you have a team that gets injured often, and then you have to change the team. I mean, that's, that's kind of – uh, the reality of things, and uh, I'm not saying that the Yankees have to make wholesale changes here. And obviously, it's now January 21st. It's kind of late for that. But uh, this is, to me, a a situation worth watching. And, and I think a lot of players on this team, you're going to look at and, and say, at some point in time, you are what the stats say you are for the last two or three years. And 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 the names are great. They're probably overall the best roster in the sport, um, at least in the American League. But at some point in time, the production has to match up to the name. And if it doesn't, uh, then you've got to make changes. And I think the other thing is you look around and, and, and the farm system and the opportunity there, you know, Frazier, of course, finally kind of burst through, got his opportunity. It's just going to be interesting to see how Aaron Boone balances 
if the team is healthy and if the team is not healthy and how you keep everybody ready in what is still going to obviously be a COVID-affected season. Aaron Boone has done a tremendous job. And Joe Girardi, by the way, did a tremendous job for a very, very long time. I always felt that the manager of the Yankees, you look at it through history, very rarely gets voted American League Manager of the Year, but that is often, annually, one of the two or three hardest jobs in the entire sport, maybe even in all of sports, because of the payroll, the expectations. Aaron Boone and Joe Girardi and Joe Torrey before him have all done very good jobs managing in the Bronx. You ain't kidding. John, final one. Everyone was stunned by that hideous Jared Porter story from earlier in the week. The Mets, as soon as they found out, did the right thing, had to part ways, had to say goodbye. But as far as the hierarchy and the structure – do you get the sense this is going to be the Sandy Alderson show for the next year? Do you think he's going to look to bring in someone new to groom him? What are you hearing about the next inner workings or the next dynamics of a Met front office that certainly is going to have to adapt now after this bombshell story comes out? Right, and, and, and you're right. It was obviously a stunning story for the entire industry the last several days. And, and I think the Mets... What Sandy Alderson has said, it, it does appear to me they're going to stay in-house for the foreseeable future and then maybe reevaluate how things look uh, when the season is done. I think one key point that I would mention here is that Zach Scott uh, was interviewed for the GM job that eventually went to Jared Porter, um, that Zach Scott was considered as a candidate for that job before then he was hired as the assistant GM under Jared Porter. Now, Jared Porter and Zach Scott have worked together for a long time with the Red Sox, uh, but, but Zach Scott, for now a number of years, uh, was not working for the same club as Jared Porter and, and had really developed his own uh, reputation, his own skill set in the industry. So, to me, I think Zach Scott is going to be heavily involved in the decision-making process for this team. Uh, of course, uh, Sandy Alderson's son, Bryn Alderson, is, is also uh, there heavily involved in the pro scouting area. Uh, so th- there's no question there's a void there. But there is also, I think, a, a pretty strong front office group that I, I would be surprised if, if things changed substantially and the Mets went through another search midseason. I, I think it's much more of an early of, of next offseason. And, and candidly, we might see some of the candidates who, who were told either they didn't want to interview this fall or their teams did not grant permission the situation could be different by the, by November, and the world is changing, as we know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So I, I think that for the Mets, as hard as it is to do this, you stay internal for now. You have someone that you looked at as a GM and Zach Scott who is already in your group. Let him ascend a little bit and then reevaluate in, in freshly in November when you may have a better candidate pool to even what Sandy Alderson said before, that maybe there's a better pool out there uh, in November than there would have been uh, even in the last few months. John Morosi, MLB Network, always bringing the fire, always bringing the insight. And you know, John, I was thinking about this. I like to do a ballpark tour. Obviously, I went out the window this year with COVID. But I've never been north of the border for a game at the Rogers Center, the old Sky Dome. I feel like that, even though it's a different experience, crowd gets into it. Everything's right downtown. I feel like that might have to be my trip, God willing, if indeed we're able to travel for baseball games. Do you give the Rogers Center experience, you know, an overall passing grade? 
Yes, uh, certainly it, it's a unique park, to your point. Uh, when it was built, it was like the eighth wonder of the world. And, and also, you know, get to Toronto again. We have to see how international travel goes during the course of the year. But you've got that great uh, city airport, which is right downtown. If you could take Porter, I think Porter flies out of Newark, or at least it normally would have and did. Uh, you could take that flight. You land you're right downtown in Toronto. You, you could take a bus right to the, to the ballpark. I mean, it's like it's right across the – there's like a little channel there downtown. In downtown Toronto. Beautiful, great people there. Tremendous food, tremendous Italian food, JJ. Which, of course, you know, for, for me, I, I'm always going to rank my cities based on the quality of the Italian food. Oh, you have you know, to. I mean, listen, yeah, that's yeah, an absolute must. There, that's why we love New York so uh, much, John. It, it, of course, it, it's, it's close to New York. Close to New York. <laughs> and that's saying something. Listen, always appreciate your insight. Always a pleasure to have you on. I'm dreaming about that trip to Toronto right now. I've got to do it in these times. You know, gotta you got to have gotta things to look forward to. So keep up the good work, hey, man. We'll do this again soon, all right? We'll catch up again. There you have it. That's John Morosi. Great stuff there at the MLB Network. Get back to your calls. And my big takeaway there from John, doesn't think Trevor Bauer's coming to the New York Mets. So there's that. 877-337-6666. Your calls, your reaction. They're coming up next. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.